0: Hey, morning, Kevin. How are you? Morning, Mike. Yeah, very good, thanks. How are you? Uh, yeah, good, good. We're on holiday soon, so yeah, looking forward to a few days off, to be nice. Yeah, definitely. So this week, we're going to talk about how to improve your conversion rate on RFPs. It seems to be very topical at the moment. I'm getting an awful lot of people asking me about more RFPs are coming in, how do they respond, people being ghosted, so they respond to these RFPs and then no one replies. They don't get through to the being the winner. Uh, and the feedback they get is, oh, you weren't quite innovative enough. And it's like, well, (laughs) what does that mean? So yeah, I just thought it was a a very topical topic to talk about. So the kind of things that I thought we could talk about are qualification, so how important RFP qualification is, answering the exam question, just go back to school, think about the exam papers that you sat, answering the exam question, how important that is, and then how do you really stand out? So those are my, my kind of like things to talk about, but You've been on the receiving end of an awful lot of RFPs. What, what are your just kind of headline views? My headline view in general, I can't stand RFPs. <laughs> and why is that?
1: Yeah, the reason I say that is I find in some ways, sometimes they lack detail and thinking. Other times they're almost too detailed and too rigid. And I just think as an agency, the way that we're set up at least, we're set up probably more as a let us figure it out for you. And we'll test, learn experiments and try and make things work, kind of potentially start small, but scale up once you've proved the model. And I think RFPs are typically, here's all the answers. This is what we need. Can you go away and do it? I actually wrote down, I've only got two notes ahead of this podcast, but one (laughs) is the pro is from an RFP, it's, you normally get a longer term buy-in, So you can understand if if you're doing an RFP process, there's normally at least a 12 month contract, if not two years.
0: Absolutely. Or else why would you bother, to be honest? Which I
1: think is great because on the other hand, you can get people that are just like, they churn and burn through agencies and you know the trends and it's just like, they're just going through that cycle and they're never going to get anywhere. And you don't want that. An RFP will give you a longer term commitment. Hopefully it's against business objectives, although not always the case, but- yeah, I think that's a positive. I think the cons is it can be a heavy use of time from the agency side for something that you've got an outside chance of winning. So yeah, improving your win rate, I think this is something that we probably need to get better as a company. But in terms of like understanding the win rate from the types of opportunities, I feel like our win rate from RFPs is pretty low. But also we're now just pulling out of quite a lot of RFPs for the reason that, I think I've just listed it's either too specific and it's not right for us, or it's quite broad and we potentially we, we just don't know enough about what they're looking for and there's a large amount of effort to put into it that we've got to put the odds in our favour. And if someone comes to us because they're they've been referred to us, they're a previous client, or however they've they've come across us and it's a warmer lead, that's where our win rates are higher. And the RFPs, I think, typically We've won, some of our big clients today, we've won from RFPs. So it's not a statement of don't enter any RFPs, but you've got to be selective because there's so much time that you can spend chasing these things, and they're expensive in time and money.
0: i mean just out of interest, the kind of stats that I see, because I see a lot of RFPs with clients. So typically, I'd expect people to be rejecting about 30% of RFPs they receive. So qualifying out about a third of the ones that you receive I would say is a good average. So if you're only qualifying out... So people who are qualifying out, you know, non or 10%, then your conversion rate will be a lot lower and you're bidding for too many things and it's taking up too much resource. That makes sense. Once you've qualified something in, you should be winning about a third. So it's a third and a third, basically.
1: That makes sense. I wonder if there's even more granular detail of the ones that only accept a third then win 50% or something like that. I I don't know, but I would imagine the strip to your pre-qualification is at that stage.
0: Correct. The higher your conversion rate. Yeah. It is. Because as, what happens is is that, so let's talk about kind of qualification criteria. So RFP qualification is the key uh, at the beginning to qualify things in or out. The more experience you get at qualifying RFPs, the more criteria you'll put into your matrix, your scoring matrix. I've actually got a scoring matrix that I, I give to people. And that's got like nine things in it that you can use to qualify in or out. The more experience you get, The more things you add into the qualification, therefore, the more you reject, but the more you reject the ones that you work on, the higher the conversion rates. It becomes self-fulfilling. That makes sense.
1: I guess a question for you kind of being on the procurement buyer side from the past. How would you like to operate with stuff like this? Do you think an RFP is actually a positive way to do things for the reason that I listed if it's maybe a longer term commitment? Or would you prefer to say... Here's an agency, or even a couple of agencies, that we think would be good. Let's give them a test until the end of the year, and then at the end of that, we've we've learned something without going through a long build-up process and pitch process that we could turn into something
0: bigger afterwards. So, I'd... so I think there's a couple of things. So I think you need to look at materiality of spend. So let's say the contract's worth, you know, twenty k a month, so it's two fifty a year ish. At that point, if I'm spending on behalf of the company. You know, quarter million pound of marketing's budget because it's their budget. I'm obviously the kind of the governance person that's going to get to the selection of who we're going to use. At that point, you need some kind of rigorous process to say we selected the right organisation. My view. So, what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't run a 20k pilot and then appoint an agency to do 250k of work. Yeah, it's possible, but it's less likely. What I'm more likely to do so. I'd like to get a bit of competition into the process. So I'd first of all, shortlist, you know, probably five, ideally three agencies. I could then run an RFP. But I think a better way is actually is having, we used to call them kind of competitive dialogues, where we'd bring an agency in for like two hours and we'd have a workshop. The agency runs the workshop. We define the questions and then we interactively work through together what solutions might look like? You know, have we got the right spec? You know, where people find that we think a certain solution might work. You, as an agency, say, I think you've got this wrong. You know, you're looking at good example we had recently. You know, you're looking at digital PR as being the key success factor. In our experience, you need an SEO strategy first approach, and the digital PR can come second. You know, that kind of two-hour discussion, I think, is much more is much more rich much more valuable. The downside with it is I don't get the documents. So I don't get to compare side by side yeah, because yeah, I get this get two hour kind of immersion. And then it makes it really difficult to extract the emotion and the chemistry from the content and the approach. And that's my problem as a buyer. That's,
1: yeah, I completely get that. Because I think purely from the agency side, we've had a pitch before that we haven't done this much, but when we do I think it's it's worked quite well but we've broken out of that kind of you tell us what you want we'll present it back to you and it's kind of just this one-way brief followed by a one-way pitch and yes you get questions in there but one thing we did is it's more collaborative and actually this buzz digital PR we said let's understand what you're looking for what are the goals and objectives and then we went away did our research but Rather than pitch into them, we sat around the whiteboard. We said, here's our initial research. These are the types of things we're thinking. I think we'd already written stuff on the whiteboard before the client came into the room, but we used that as a starting point to collaborate together and shape it together because no idea at that stage is going to be fully formed. You need to then understand from both sides how it works. And I feel like that formal process of Death by PowerPoint is just not the best way to get that across. <laughs> Whereas actually, if it's you're tough. working if you're working together and bouncing ideas around, in the same way with consultancy, sometimes you can save yourself 10 days worth of auditing by having a chat with someone and just saying, Well, what did you do on the 24th of March? Exactly. Because that changed quite a lot. And then it will open up conversations around, oh, well, actually, we relaunched our website that day. And like all of these things that If you don't have that communication and dialogue with a client, you end up sometimes going down a rabbit hole that's unnecessary and you can fast track it. But I completely appreciate from the client side, if you're trying to pick someone, do you have the time to go through a collaborative process with free agencies? Possibly not. And yeah, I I don't know. It's tricky. And like you say, you you want to have a scorecard of which you can say, this one is an eight out
0: of 10, that one's a six out of 10. But actually, Kevin, a good way of doing that, that this, I think this is a very good point. I, I think, I think this having a dialogue is far more valuable than just writing a document. But what I used to do, I'm looking, I'm thinking back now about a couple of that I ran where we did this. I pre-prepared a little scoring sheet. So I pre-prepared, look, there is, there are six areas that we're looking at. There's methodology. There's their case history. There's their ability to understand our problem, ability to focus on the outcomes. So I'd have like a little checklist. And then if there's five of us in the room from the client side, each person had the checklist and you'd score it. So in that two hours, you score them and then i collate them all and then i bring it all together and, and feed it back. And that actually worked. I'm thinking of one that we did, which was reasonably a reasonably big piece of work. And it worked really well because it, it had that nice blend of, it wasn't all subjective. So we didn't all sit there at the end and just go, who do we like? Because that's really not the way to buy but it gave us some objectivity, but it gave us some interaction.
1: That's right. And I've definitely heard people say before, you should either pitch first because you like raised the bar or pitch last because you're the last one that you remember. But if you're the one in the middle, sometimes you just don't remember that. And I think if it is subjective, then that's probably even more important. Whereas actually, if you've got a scorecard, that shouldn't make a difference whether you're first, second, third, fourth, however.
0: It shouldn't. I mean, my preference, by the way, so people are thinking, well, should I go first, second, or third if I get a choice? Ideally, I think you should go first because you plant the seeds in the client's mind of the really difficult questions that need to be resolved, which makes it more difficult for number two and three if they can't answer the questions. So you set the bar early. Also, if
1: you're agency three that comes in and tells the same problems that agencies one and two have, it's really dumb. Exactly. Whereas actually if you're the first one that says it, (laughs) it's kind of like, oh, we didn't know that. That's interesting. Uh, Exactly.
0: um, Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that's probably a fair point.
1: I was just going to ask what other tips you had, but I think you're going into it, so it's fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, so if you are forced down the route of it's an RFP, let's assume you've qualified it really well. So you should now stand, you know, greater than 30% probability of winning. Ideally, hopefully, as you say, 50%. Some of the things to make sure that you increase your likelihood of winning are and evidencing your answer. They're really important that when you answer the exam question accurately, so make sure you do answer the exam question accurately, once you've answered it, you've then got to evidence it. Because there's no point in telling me what the answer is if I say, well, yeah, you're just good at answering questions. Mm-hmm. Show me the evidence. Show me where you've done this before. Yeah, And that plays to an inch wide and a mile deep. The people that win on RFPs are where the RFP specification is normally quite tight. It's in a specific domain area uh, which requires lots of expertise, and the evidence that people give to their answers is so deep that it's like they've done this, you know, twenty times before, for different clients in our sector. They've got evidence of the outcomes. They've got case studies. It becomes so compelling that it becomes really hard to beat that supplier. Yeah, yeah, it definitely
1: does. And I think it's, again, that comes into the pre-qualification. Do you have the capability? I can think of an example, even quite recently, where we've entered an RFP process where, if I'm honest, we probably shouldn't have gone for it. And I think that that's due to, it's close to what we do, but the way the questions are asked didn't specifically fit our strengths. But equally, there's another one that we And the other side we pulled out of, that I think is a great fit for us, but we pulled out because it was a public RFP or fairly public RFP that we felt we would be in a very long list of agency suppliers. We didn't know anyone at that brand. And although we had the capability and we thought we could do it, because we're involved in such a broad conversation, it just, we typically get quite a lot of just inbound leads that we deal with. We scored it out because it just, it didn't feel like, this is a good use of our time, given that it's a bit of a long shot. So again, I think that pre-qualification is really important.
0: That's great. And there's one thing that you mentioned of the qualification criteria that you've got in your head and that you've got written down. One of the critical ones is we definitely have the expertise. However, we have no no, no access to anyone inside this client that we know. Yeah. If you don't have a relationship with someone in that client that can give you some coaching and advice, Within the right department, so if it's a marketing RFP, yeah, you know, within marketing you need someone to talk to. If you don't have that access at a reasonably senior level, your chances of winning are so low. They are They're yeah. so low.
1: I've seen some agencies before; they they've built a checklist of these are the typical RFP questions. Here are our answers, and they put quite a lot of details into it. And they've responded with, "We don't reply to RFPs." However, this is our typical response. If you'd like to have a conversation in the future about something more. Specifically, kind of like less of a formal process, we're for open to it. But even then, I don't I think because they're in that RFP mindset, it's like, well, you didn't really answer my question. So, as much as there's some effort in there as a blanket approach, I can't say it's all that particularly successful. So, I'm not sure I would advise that. But I think just having a stance on what you do, because I think the problem a lot of agencies face, and again, I'm not saying this from the experience of we've cracked it, it's more that evolution as you go along is you have to start to specialise niche and understand what's going to drive your growth and what isn't. And the more that you, we say no a lot more than we say yes to leads that come through. And I think we could probably get even more granular with the ones moving forward, because as you start to win bigger clients, you need less of them in order to grow significantly. So saying no to the wrong opportunities and then putting Kind of uh, all of your effort behind the ones where you know know, your win rate is never going to be one hundred percent, but getting it as close to as likely to win as possible, and then putting everything behind it because it's a lot of effort.
0: I think that's an example of kind of agency maturity as well, Kevin, is that because you are now a very mature agency in terms of experience and the team that you've got around you, you know more and more you you focus on this is our specialism. You know, there is plenty; the world's plenty big enough. A resignal for oh. us to specialise in what we do, yeah, of and become you know a big business. Yeah, for me as a as a buyer, you know, having absolute clarity on your expertise and an overwhelming set of case studies and evidence that proves your expertise in that in that domain area. One thing you can do, I think, yeah, that's critical, uh, absolutely critical. Uh, one thing you can do if you get an RFP, whereby you qualify it out that you think the client's asking the wrong question or the specification maybe shows that the buyer's not been through this journey before, is you can talk to procurement if they'll accept the call and say, look, you know, we're not going to bid for this. However, we've got some insights based upon solving these kinds of problems before that might make you rethink the way you're doing the RFP. Because remember, the RFP, if you're a private company, as opposed to public sector or third sector company, I do have the ability to stop the process. If I think I've made, I've got the, I've got the kind of exam question wrong or the scope wrong or the spec wrong. If someone tells me that right at the beginning of the process, I can then go, actually, we're going to stop this process because we're going to buy the wrong thing. We're going to listen to Kevin about his insights and that may make us rethink what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. I have done that in the past because it, for me, I would be really dumb. If someone told me, we think you're going to buy the wrong thing, and I say, well, I know better, and I'm just going to buy what I think is right, that would be a really stupid thing to do. Yeah,
1: yeah, that makes sense. And you'd like to think someone would be, as long as it's evidenced and you can show this is why, people would listen to that, because you're right, you don't want to go down the wrong route. We had an experience a few years back where um, the client went through a large RFP process of which we were not invited to, they chose an agency of which they were very disappointed with within a month to two months, they kind of knew it wasn't going to work. And I think they ended up committed to a a contract that eventually once the first break clause came into place, they activated and then they came to us and they were just like, we were really disappointed with the RFP process last time. So can we give you some work? And they wanted flexible agreements towards that rather than kind of like long-term commitment. But they really didn't want to go through the RFP process because the last time they did it,
0: exactly. the winning
1: agency impressed but didn't <laughs> deliver. And then they were like, well, what makes this second choice any better? So, and it, I think in the meantime, exactly, they'd come across us and wanted to just give us a chance in a less formal way. And that actually worked out really well for us in that case. And I think better for them. But again, yeah. it's, I think maybe it's that flexibility of finding what works for you, but there is a lot of pressure on once you've gone through that whole process, you've got to make it work. But you don't know how good an agency is until you start working with them.
0: I mean, that's why in the process, you know, you said before, if you've not got a relationship with that brand, then your chance of winning is so low. It's because one of my risk factors, so obviously what I'm looking at is risk when I'm buying, one of the massive risk factors is we've sent an RFP out, five people came back to us, five organisations, we downsourced to three we negotiated with two and we selected one. The one we selected, we've never worked with before in our lives. We've also got no one in our network who's worked with them before either, but they sound really good. I mean, how mad does it sound? You know, we're going to give someone quarter of a million pounds a year and we don't know them. We've just seen what they can do in terms of pitching. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Especially when it's quite common that you do get the bait and switch of here's the... Uh- yeah. Yeah, team selling, and then they'll come back for the renewal twelve months later. But in between, yeah, there's this mystery team that you don't know who they are. Exactly. Yeah, I think that can be tricky.
0: It can because also, you know, some people might say, "Well, we'll give we'll give references." No one gives a bad reference. No one's going to give me as a buyer a reference that doesn't check out. Yeah, true. It would be insane. Yeah. So references don't work either. So the only thing that works is if I know someone in another brand who's worked with you as an agency, and I can talk to them privately and say, so how did it work out? What was the good and the bad? And I get some real confidence. Then I'm like, okay, yeah, right. This should work.
1: Which is why that trusted recommendation and referral is just so strong. And in that pre-qualification scorecard, if you've been referred for a right reason, then that's scored highly and you've got a good chance of winning it. Whereas if it's a long shot RFP and your name's been mentioned, then it's still a long shot. You're just on the list.
0: And in fact, most of the business that we win, probably in both of our businesses, you can normally trace it back to at some point, somewhere, someone has recommended us Yeah. in some way, shape or form, or they've, or they've seen us in action. they had some experience of us, you know, like the, the 11 touch points. There's a reason it's 11 touch points before someone actually starts to engage with you realistically about an opportunity because they need to get more confidence. So in terms of just like kind of uh, conclusions, what's your kind of headline conclusion about RFPs? My headline isn't
1: quite as harsh as all RFPs are bad, but it's definitely pre-qualify. On the seller side, you need to make sure that I think with RFPs, it's a bit of an all or nothing. If you're going to pitch, you need to pitch to win because it's very competitive. But if you don't think you've got a strong chance of winning, put your effort somewhere else. Don't be scared to put that effort into existing clients and growing those relationships. I think it's easy to forget that often you can grow and upsell and win new business with a new client much easier than you can pitching for another opportunity. So think about where you put your best talent teams and ideas and serving your existing clients can sometimes be a lot more lucrative than trying to chase every new business opportunity and RFP that's out there. Exactly.
0: And mine would be qualify really hard when you do bid for something answer the exam question give loads of evidence around the response and thirdly find someone independent to review what you're writing get someone to mark your homework before you submit it Mm -hmm. and your conversion rates will absolutely go up yeah categorically yeah that makes sense Kevin's been great as always it's always a bit of a voyage of discovery as we go through the call but with some prompts but yeah I think it's been fantastic thank you brilliant okay thanks mate alright talk to you soon cheers